continuing our study through the, the book of Genesis as we look at the foundation of our faith. Before we hear God's word preached, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now. We thank you that you are a glorious and holy God. God, we thank you that you have given us your name to be called by. God, we thank you that you have set us apart as your people. We thank you, Lord, that when we come into your presence that you hear our prayers. And yet, Lord, when we come into your presence, we are made aware of our sin. So, Lord, we come corporately confessing our sins, Lord. We confess how too often we doubt your word. Lord, how we may deny it with our lives. Uh, we confess, Lord, that we don't love one another as we ought. Uh, we confess that so often that we are concerned with the busyness of living rather than uh, rejoicing in the life you've given us. Father, forgive us for not seeing how you take you bring good even out of the, the darkest days. Father, we confess our sins to you through Christ, knowing that he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord God, we pray that you would forgive us and purify us on the basis of what Christ has done in the finished work of the cross. Father, we lift up our congregation to you, those who are hurting. Father, we pray that you would be with uh, continue to be with Jerry Green, Lord, uh, as he's continuing to battle this cancer. Father, we thank you for giving him joy and health. Father, we pray that you would be with Ken Petter as he's continuing to trust you in the midst of his, his pain. God, we pray that you would continue to give him more days of, of joy. Father, we pray a blessing on Owen Hollis as he's going to have his surgery upcoming uh, in this cancer. We pray, God, that you would just shine in and through him and Louise as they go through this process in faith. Father, I pray for all those in our congregation who are sick, both physically, sick emotionally, God, who are struggling with, with loss. We pray specifically by the power of your spirit that you would meet with them, comfort them in their, in their grief. Father, we also just pray for our nation. Father, we do pray for our upcoming election. We pray, God, that you would be, would be sovereign over it all. God, we uh, know that you are not surprised by the things happening in our, in our country. And yet, God, we know that you will work it for our good. We pray, God, that you would work your hand in the election process. Father, we continue to pray that you be with our president uh, and Congress as, as they lead our nation. We pray that you would give them wisdom, God, that you would allow us to live in peace, um, to live before you in honor and righteousness. Father, we also just pray for the gospel in our community. We pray for Ray Long this morning at Union Baptist Church. God, we pray as Ray preaches your word that you would just bless him, that you bless that congregation, that you would form that congregation more and more into the likeness of Christ. And Father, now we come to you ready and excited to hear what you have to say from your word. Father, I pray that you would allow us to quiet our hearts and our minds, that we would submit to your word. As your word is declared and announced, we pray that you would preach it through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would allow it to rest upon our hearts, that we would not just hear it, but God, allow it to work deep into our lives and that we would be formed and shaped 
by it. We pray that by the preaching of your word that you would transform the people of Park Baptist Church more and more into your image for your glory. So, God, we ask now that you would speak, not to hear a word from a man, but, God, to hear from your holy and precious word. We even pray now, Lord, as we are getting ready to take the meal that you have ordained for your church, that you would be binding our hearts together. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would convict us of sin and that you would make us a a body that loves each other well, that we would truly be one in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would speak for the good of your church and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever struggled with sin? Fallen to temptation? Attempted to cover up your shame? Or have you ever felt hopeless on your pursuit of holiness? The third chapter of Genesis explains the root answer to all these questions. The fall is the second act of God's story. Creation, fall. Redemption, consummation. I pray that in a close study of this text, you will be able to better understand how we are tempted. And how, when we understand how we are tempted, that we can overcome that temptation. And that we will see God's glorious grace, even in the midst of his judgment. If you want to follow along in the outline provided for us, you can see that first point is the, is the tempter in the fall. The, the tempter in the fall. Uh, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2 over the last several weeks. And in the beginning of chapter 3, we see a, a new character introduced into the narrative. This character will play a prominent role in the story throughout the scripture. Genesis 3, 1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. The serpent was a creature that was made by the Lord. And although he was a creature, he was different than the other beast. This serpent speaks. So we see the second half of verse 1. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The opening lines reveal his, his craftiness. He is directed, they are directed against the Lord, questioning the commands that God gave to his people, the good commands that he gave to his people in Genesis 2. 17, his command, or he's challenging the command, Scripture reveals that this serpent is not just a serpent, but is the devil himself. The devil goes by many names in the Scriptures. Jesus speaks of him in the New Testament as the father of lies. John 8, he says when he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is the liar and the father of lies. Revelation 12, 9 speaks of Satan. And the great dragon was thrown down in the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He is known as the accuser of God's people, Revelation 12.10, the prince of the power of air who leads the sons of 
disobedience. The God of this world who blinds the mind of unbelievers and the adversary who roars around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. From his introduction, we see a creature who is crafty, who stands against the Lord. Now, it's important to note that the serpent knows the commands of the Lord. The devil has better theology than all of us. He knows the word. But he twists it for his own purposes and for the destruction of God's people. Before we examine his tactics, we must first understand that the devil is very real. Someone wanted to think that that is just fairy tales or myth, but the devil is very real. And he is active in God's world. Now, what the text doesn't do, the text, the text does not explain why the devil is in the garden. It does not explain the, the origins of, of evil. But what it does is it explains the fall of humanity. The fall of humanity into sin and guilt. The passage explains not why evil's there, but that evil is there. We know that the Bible never attributes God to be the author of evil. But one, but God being the one who uses evil to bring about good. Uh, Hoyle, I'm going to take off this mic, and I'm just going to use the pulpit mic for that feedback. You're welcome. Well, we do know what the Bible says about God, is that God uses the evil things in this world to bring about his purposes. That's what he does. We see that primarily in Joseph's life and ultimately in the life of Christ. But just know that at the outset, the tempter is in the garden, and he deceives the woman with the temptation. Point number two, the temptation of the fall. The tempter begins his temptation again by questioning God's word. He wants to cause God's people to doubt the word of the Lord. Satan loves half-truths. He, he presents truth, but he mixes it with lies. Look what he does in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan twists God's word. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree? Now, if you remember, what did God say to Adam and Eve? He says, you may eat of freely from any tree in the garden, but one. The beginning of the temptation starts when Eve starts to question God's word herself. The tactics are very real today. If, if, the, if the evil one wants to deceive you to walk away from the Lord, he starts by putting doubt of God's word into your minds. Did God actually say that marriage can only be 
between a man and a woman? It happens in many ways and in many styles. One of the mark of false teachers is that there are those who twist the scriptures for their own benefits. We were promised that in the last days there will be false teachers and false hearers. Listen to God's word, 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Temptation begins when you start to doubt God's word. And then doubt leads to denial. The woman responds to these half-truths of the serpent, revealing how she's already been deceived. Listen to how one scholar notes the, the changes and how she responds. First, he writes, she admits these elements in the command any and freely. She places the prohibition in a context of liberality. At this point, we shall, we, she still is thinking collectively with her husband from whom, as the narrator implies, she received the command, we may eat, verse 2. Second, Eve identifies the tree according to its location rather than its significance. And third, she refers to God as the serpent had done, rather than the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel. Fourth, she also adds the phrase, you must not touch it, which may make the prohibition more stringent. Yet to credit the fear of touching the fruit may have been out of deference for God's command. For Israel, touch was associated with prohibition and death or which consecration to God. Finally, she failed to capture the urgency of certain death. You will surely die. So what she's doing here, she removes certain words. She removes the word freely from the garden. She removes the word Lord God. And she removes the word surely die. The woman appears to fight temptation, but she's already begun down the path of doubting God's word. And sometimes when you struggle with temptation and you fall, the problem is not in the immediate time when you fall. You have to back it up and realize when did the temptation begin. It may have begun weeks or months earlier when you were tempted to doubt God's word. The serpent picks up the attack by outright denying God's word and questioning God's character. Look what it says in Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Directly contradicting God's word. He goes on, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent denies that death will happen and even questions God's motive. God is withholding something from you. He does not want you to be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, what did God say in Genesis 1? That he created man and woman in his image. Genesis 3, 6, we see the the craftiness of the serpent deceiving the woman into the first sin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit 
and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Now we see what Satan did is Satan told the truth. He told the truth and a half-truth. The man and the woman's eyes would be opened. They would be like God, knowing good and evil. But what Satan doesn't say is the consequence of that decision. Listen, this is how the the evil one still tempts us today. He gives you half-truths. He gives you things that will lure you away from the the Lord to give you a, a sense of what all the benefits will be if you make this decision, but without telling you the, the consequences of disobeying God. When you disobey God, there will be carnage. There will be carnage in your own life. There will be carnage of the people that you love. He holds out the promises of happiness, pleasure, and comfort without showing you the heartache, the emotional guilt, and the people you will hurt when you walk in sin. And yet Adam and Eve took of the fruit and ate. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, like all the other trees in the garden. And she saw it was a delight to the eyes, like all the other trees in the garden. But this tree, this tree had the power to make her wise. She would be like God, knowing good and evil. The man and the woman usurp their roles as creatures and place themselves in the positions of God, saying that all sin, in, in essence, is the root of pride. It's you think, we think, I think that we know better than the Lord. That's what Eve and Adam did here. They wanted to be wise in their own eyes. The root of all sin begins with pride. The Bible speaks of the woman being deceived. But her husband was right there with her. At any point, Adam could have said, stop. God said in his word. But no. Adam remained silence. The Bible said the woman was deceived, but never says that Adam was deceived. Adam's silence leads leads to the destruction of the garden. And I just wonder how many times has silence led to the destruction of other people's lives? How many times in your life right now that you know people are doing things that are dishonoring to the Lord, and instead of speaking up, we are like Adam, silent. Not deceived, but silent. Adam will be the one who is held primarily responsible for the breach of God's word. The temptation in the garden is still the pattern of temptation today. The Apostle John writes in his epistle to the church, chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can I just stop there for a second? The goal of this world is to make you love it. When you love this world and the things of this world more than God, you do not have the love of the Father in you. The world is often aggressively pursuing your hearts to make you fall in love with it. John goes on and says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Wherever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So the desires of our flesh are appetites, good for food. The desires of our eyes are lust, pleasing to the eye. And the pride of life to be like God. Beloved, there is nothing new under the sun. If you understand how the woman and the man were tempted in the garden, you will understand how you will be tempted with your appetites, with your lust, and with your pride. So, where is that in your life? Where can Satan tempt your appetites? Where can he, can he, can he tempt you with your desires? And where is the pride in your life that could pull you away from the Father? Know your weaknesses. And then plan accordingly. The third thing we see here in the text is a try. The try after the fall. So immediately after the fall, we see how Adam, or the man and the woman uh, tried to cover their shame. They tried to make their own coverings. Look what it says in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Their eyes were open and they realized, they became aware of their nakedness. And they covered themselves. The first reaction when their sin is exposed was to try on their own to deal with it. Don't we do the same? Our sin is exposed and we try to cover it up ourselves. And yet we know deep down that our covering is insufficient. Man and woman covered themselves because they had become like God, knowing good and evil. So we see in Genesis 3.8, And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Throughout the book of Genesis, you see this idea of walking with God as a sign of being right, in a right relationship, a sign of being perfect. We see that with Enoch and, and Noah. Walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. So they lost their innocence, and immediately they hide from God. They are afraid. They fear Him. Their perfect communion with God is now broken, and they are spiritually separated from Him for all time. All sin breaks fellowship with God. All sin breaks fellowship with God and breaks fellowship with each other. This is what Satan didn't tell Adam and Eve. And yet, although the fellowship is broken, the, the covenant God, the Lord God, the God of, of Israel, continues to pursue his people. He knows what happens. He's not surprised that Adam and Eve took the, the fruit and ate. And yet, what does the Lord do in, in verses 3, 8 through 11? He gives them the opportunity to come clean by asking them questions. You know, I'm not sure about you, but that's somehow at times how I minister to people. I know that there's something going on in their life, and what do you do is you ask them. You give them an opportunity to come clean. Sometimes God does that with you. Someone's coming into your life, and they're asking you a question because they, they sense something's wrong because they're giving you the opportunity to come clean. And what do we see Adam and Eve do? They don't admit their guilt but they turned it on to somebody else. 
verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man hid and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, I told you that, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So neither man nor woman takes responsibility for their actions. But they just turn it on to somebody else. Adam blames God for giving him the woman and the woman, and he blames the woman for giving him the fruit. The woman blames the serpent for being deceived. God Almighty graciously calls out to his people, but instead of turning to him, they justify their actions. The woman blames, the man blames. And yet they they still both admit their sin, don't they? At the end of their justification and their blames, they say, I ate. But their confession is never mixed with guilt. Sometimes when we are caught in our sin, we may confess, I'm sorry. We may confess that I, I, I did wrong, but that does not mean enough. When we confess our sins before God and for each other, there has to be a heart mixed with it. Our hearts have to to feel the, the consequence, the weight of our sin. Beloved, the sin of the man and the woman in the garden is why sin happens. We are all spiritually dead. We are all sinners. The Bible says in Romans 5.12 that Rich read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. We are all sinners. At the core of who we are without Christ is sin. We are all evil at the core. Now, that's not a popular message in our world. And yet, we know it to be true. We know what's inside of us. We know our pride. We know our our lusts and our desires and our appetites. We know how often they rise up in us, set against the Lord. We know that. That's why the fall is there. It shows us why we're like that. We cannot deny our guilt. Sin brings judgment. Fourth point. We see the true trouble because of the fall. The Lord responds to the rebellion in the garden with the pronouncement of judgment towards the rebels. Look what God's word says in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's a far cry from Genesis chapter 1, when we see God's blessings on humanity. God bless the animals. God bless the human beings. God bless the seventh day. And here we see the first curse from the Lord's mouth, cursing the serpent and cursing the ground. And we'll see in the next chapter how he curses Cain. The judgment that God gives is directly related to the purposes in which we were created. The woman was created to bear children and to be a helper fit for her husband. So now the woman will experience pain in what she was meant to do, to bear children. And she will have a desire to rule or to dominate her husband in marriage. So the desire to to rule, to control, to criticize a husband has its beginnings in the fall. The New Testament teaches that a woman is called to submit and respect their husband's leadership For those desires are now not natural to our world. Adam was placed in the garden to work the land. But now the land is working against him. And it will be difficult for him to exercise dominion and authority over it. Work will become hard. You know, when you see a a man unhappy, a lot of times the unhappiness of a man comes because they don't like their jobs. We find that root right here in the garden. Work will become hard and the ground will eventually rule over man as man will eventually return to dust. The ultimate punishment of sin is death. Sin brings judgment. God completed his judgment against Adam and Eve by sending him away from his presence. Look what it says in God's word, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest we reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Beloved, sin brings judgment. Genesis 3 is a clear reminder of the consequences of sin. And yet, what we see in this judgment is the glorious hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close with this last point, the triumph over the fall. The triumph over the fall. I hope that you notice, while I'm I'm talking about the fall, there's not a lot of joy there. I'm I'm a little bit more subdued in my demeanor today. 
The reason why is because sin is serious. Sin brings judgment. If you are here today and you are in sin, be afraid. That's what the fall teaches us. Is that if we live in sin, we will be driven from the Lord's presence. The end of Genesis chapter 3 is a stark reminder of the consequences of sin. And yet we see the gospel here. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves after the fall, but their covering was insufficient. Only God could cover their sins. Genesis 3.15, look with me again. The Bible says, I will put enmity between you and the woman to the serpent, and the off- between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is called the, the proto-eugelium, the first gospel. There is going to come one from the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And we see that in Genesis 3.20. When God could have wiped out Adam and Eve, God gave Eve the power to create life. Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Despite the pain of childbirth, women will continue to bear children and fulfill their purpose. Genesis traces the seed of the woman to Seth, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah. And the rest of the Bible traces this seed that began from Eve all the way to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the seed of woman. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus would face the same temptation of the serpent. And yet Jesus was not in the garden. Jesus was in the wilderness. After fasting for 40 days, he was vulnerable. And and Satan came at him with the same temptations that he came at the first Adam in the garden. And this time, when the new Adam was tempted, he overcome. He triumphed. Because when he was tempted, he spoke back the very words of God. The Lord God, we see at the end of Genesis 3, 20, 21 made a provision for Adam and Eve in the garden. He covered them with the skin of an animal. Look what Genesis 3, 21 says. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Blood had to be shed to give them a proper covering. The only way their covering, the only way their sin could be forgiven was the shedding of blood. And that covering, the covering of the animal skin, was a sign of how the the seed of of woman would crush the head of the serpent. He must first be bruised and bleed, taking the curse of God on a tree. If you have your scriptures, turn to Matthew 27 with me briefly. Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, Jesus is hanging on the tree, paying for the sins of the world. In verse 45 of chapter 27, we read, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Ali, Ali, let me sabachthani. That is my God, my God. 
Why have you forsaken me? Well, beloved, we know. We know why Jesus was forsaken on the cross. We know why he was cursed. He was cursed because of his love. He was cursed because of his love for us. Jesus knew that there was only one way back into the presence of God. Genesis 3.24, when man was an e- man and woman were driven out of the east of the garden, God placed a cherubim uh, with a flaming sword guarding every which way to entrance into the garden. Well, the cherubim was a sign for the Israel, Israel, Israelites that, that, was the, that the, no one could enter the presence of God and live. So in the temple, between the, the holy place and the most holy place, there was a large curtain that came down. And on that curtain was a cherubim. And that cherubim was a reminder to God's people that you could not enter the presence of God because of Adam's sin in the garden. Look at, look at the Bible in Genesis or Matthew chapter 27, 51. And behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Look at verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Through the shed blood of the Son of God, the curtain was torn. And the cherubim that that stood blocking the presence of God was torn in two. Opening the way back to God. Opening us back to the presence of God. The cherubim no longer stood guard. God made a way through the blood of His Son. The blood of the Lamb. Jesus triumphed over the fall through His death. And in His death, He was dead and buried. God rose Him from the dead to give us new hope. A living hope. Jesus Christ's resurrection. Beloved, salvation only comes through judgment. The only way you and I can go into the presence of God is if someone was judged for us. And that's what Jesus did. We are saved because we have an advocate, a priest, a Savior who was judged. We celebrate the victory of the Lamb who was slain by enjoying a meal. By by rejoicing together as a foretaste of the kingdom that is going to come. We feast today with the bread and the fruit of the vine as a reminder of what Christ has done in His death and what awaits us in the coming resurrection. The Lord's Supper is a promise. We come together and proclaim the Lord's death as the only way to God as the only way back into the presence of God is the one who removed the the guard, the Savior Christ. Beloved, the Lord's table is for sinners, for we are all sinners. We see that in the fall. But but the, the Lord's table is for a particular kind of sinners, sinners who have repented of their sins, who trust in Christ and in Christ alone to get to the Father. We demonstrate our trust in Christ by publicly going before the Lord in baptism and committing to a local body of believers, the church. 
which he purchased with his blood. As we prepare the table, I pray that you would reflect upon the glorious grace of Christ, demonstrated, alluded to in the garden, that the seed of the woman, who though bruised in death, 